Hey, everybody, you're listening to Driving Them In with Jim Campanis Jr. and Eric Lennenberg, a show we do while I'm driving home, crawling through the nightmare of the L.A. freeway system. And uh, today we have a fun topic. First of all, Eric, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, Kathy. It's still uh, a little warm over here in the Phoenix area, but uh, I think the end is near when it comes to the heat. How's things over there? Well, I, I don't want to rub it in your face, but it's 81 and perfect. And, uh, you know, I, I have the air on, but that's just because I want to, you know, we're we're recording this, so I, I don't, you don't need to hear the Harleys with the window down, but it's definitely yeah, window down uh, weather today. So, yeah. Uh, but we've had a, we've had a, a few, uh, you know, a little bit uh, uh, this summer, but yeah, we're not Phoenix. So, you know, nothing like that. Yeah. It won't even compare it. But yeah. uh, no, we have a, a fun guest on. In fact, I, I'm trying to, I'm, I told you this off air that I'm trying to scratch my head on where I may have run into this guest and it's in Phoenix area, uh, either at, at and, I, and then I know it was at Tempe Diablo Stadium. I'm sorry, either at, uh, it was either at Arizona State Stadium or Tempe Diablo. And my old brain is not functioning properly today. But uh, anyway, I, I, baseball is such a small world. So, Eric, could you tell us, uh, introduce our sort of guest today and let us know uh, who it is and what their thing is? Yeah, and I, I think our listeners are going to really love this one. I'm, I'm particularly excited. Our guest is Perry Barber, who was, I believe, the first female umpire, professional umpire in uh, baseball here in America. She's a leader in the movement, the current movement, the ongoing movement to have young girls be allowed to play and encouraged to play Little League on up. Uh, but not only that, she had a career in the music industry, which I want to certainly ask her about because that's something a lot of us in baseball who know her didn't know about. I want to uh, have her enlighten us on that. You know, I met Perry probably two or three years ago. I was at a screening of John Leonidakis' latest uh, edition of The Sweet Spot, and uh, it was in South Pasadena at the library there. Yeah. And I met Perry, I met a few other people. I was just starting to talk to her for a few minutes, and I had a text, I had an emergency, and I had to leave, I had a family emergency. And I was, as I was driving away, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I had planned on talking to her for an hour or two. But so now we get a chance tonight. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I think, I think, as I said, our listeners are really going to enjoy this one. Awesome. Yeah, this will be fun. And, uh, you know, I can't, I can't imagine the, uh, I mean, she, I, I read a little story about her. She was inducted into like um, some kind of uh, lifetime achievement thing through Saber. And they just sort of highlighted in this article some of the, you know, she's basically umpired at every level of baseball and um, including, you know, I guess including major league spring training. And that's, that's what perked my ears. Cause I'm like, I can't remember if she was umping during, you know, a, a big league spring training game, which I was on the, on like five, five years. I went to big league. Uh, so I would have been there for that. Or if it was in college, which was in Arizona where she would have been during spring training uh, or shortly thereafter, um, so I, I'm just curious because we did have, we did have minor league umpires that would umpire, uh, in Phoenix, like they would umpire our college games. And, uh, we also had, um, you know, uh, major league umpires, of course, doing or minor league umpires rather also, uh, umpiring spring training games when we had split squads and games like that. So that'll be interesting. I'm just, you know, trying to, to remember, uh, but, uh, you know, 30 years ago, probably it was <laughs> anyway, yeah. that was, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but I I do recall because I, you know at the time I don't remember another female umpire you know that was sort of that 
who got to be sort of to, up to that level. And I know right. there's probably been some uh, after and, and so on, but uh, she was sort of the, I guess, the what you call the groundbreaker, right? The one that sort of started this whole thing. So yeah, uh, it's a be trailblazer. Awesome. Trailblazer, that's the one. That's the one. And then, uh, of course, you know my affinity to uh, playing music. I've been playing guitar since I was about 15. And, of course, I don't know if you know uh, the full story on that, uh, Eric, but my motivation simply was I was a quarterback, too, in high school. So, you know, I had the luxury of the girls that liked the, the jock guys, you know, I was in there, but it was those, yeah. those the, it was those theater girls and those drama and artsy girls. They thought I, that the jock thing was lame, so I had to come up with like a strategy. And well, guitar seemed fun, and well, you know, <laughs> I haven't been able to I haven't been able to put it down since. And uh, that's one of the reasons, by the way, my wife said, you know, I think I'll uh, I'll stick with you because you got you can do that too. So uh, <laughs> funny thing how how life works, right? But uh, no, yeah. this is interesting uh, because she she took her music way to the to, to stuff you know way to the extremes uh in terms of you know where she was performing and with who so uh, that'll right. be a fun topic when uh, we're able to get her on uh i was wondering though eric if, if you uh, i know where when and normally we we, we you know kind of stick with topics um, but i did want to ask you we're we're getting toward the end of the 2019 uh you know regular season and uh i just want to throw it out there because we have about uh, perry comes on but i was just curious where your head is in terms of you know, the playoffs and, you know, who's going to be the wild card and, and maybe who your picks are uh, to be in the World Series and then maybe your final pick. And let me guess, Dodgers? Well, maybe. you know, that would have been my <laughs> final pick for the World Series. I don't know that they'll get to the World Series. I mean, they certainly have a powerhouse team this year. They've got all the ingredients, but their bullpen is, right. is absolutely in question uh, Jansen blew a low save last night. I it better be something. Uh, I, I, if it was me, I would probably go to Jansen Maeda as a closer, or Julio Urias, or a closer by by committee. But that's a big issue for them. Uh, yeah, jo- like Joe the Kelly's turned it on. Joe Kelly's turned it on lately. That's that's their only, I think, saving grace. He actually looks like you know the Joe Kelly of of, of the of old. So uh, that well, may uh, the, that may be that something. Be the saving grace. Yeah, yeah. And you're you're saying the A's? Uh, in the American League, I probably I lean towards the Yankees, and uh, okay. not only because you know I like our, our buddy Aaron Boone a lot, but uh, they just they're similar to the Dodgers. The Dodger Yankee World Series would probably be a good seven game matchup. You know what? I really Did in my hear? heart though, I'd like I'd like to see the Twins make it, but I don't think they have a chance. Yeah, I, I would too, and uh, there's good players on that team, you know, yeah. haven't quite, uh, you know, been able to, and, and this year has been great for them. Uh, one thing that concerns me, I watched the, this guy pitch and he just got the old uh, administrative leave, mandatory administrative leave thing today, uh, Erman, the, the pitcher. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, unfortunate because I think they really, that was one of the, he was one of the guys that was like sort of shoring up the, um, you know, the, the starting rotation under Yankees, but like you said, they have they're so strong and so many. I, but I'm concerned that you know you need that that extra horse, that third horse, and and I think he was uh, was that guy. And so speaking as a fan, I'm going to say like I mean I used to sit around and watch cartoons and eat cereal with her when we were kids. I mean, how can yeah. I not root for that guy, right? I mean, that's right. But you know, <laughs> but if, you know, if you're going to say hey, okay, you got to go bet, you know, all your life savings on the Yankees, I'd be like, nah, nah, I'm not. I got to do that, <laughs> you know? So, uh, 
so it'll be yeah, interesting. It's a weird yeah, year. it is. It is a weird year, and um, you know we're seeing, you know we're seeing like uh, a lot of injuries uh, that like as season enders from big players just in the last couple of weeks, and then um, you know we're also seeing teams that really no one's talked about all year all of a sudden looking like really really good like St. Louis, yeah. So uh, you know, and, and then the Cubs as well. Um, and I always had this theory that those two teams just beat up on each other all summer and then, and they get better and the rest of the league is playing about three or four teams in their division that are, you know, like easy wins. And so now you come to the playoffs and you, you got a five game, seven game set with a really good pitching staff that you really haven't seen a lot. Uh, that's where I think the Dodgers are, are likely going to meet their match up against a, a, National League Central team, they won't yeah. be able to. In my opinion, they would be able to handle their 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 really loaded staff. So it'll be interesting to see. But I'm really excited about today's show with uh, with Perry. And I wonder yeah, if he keeps, uh, keeps up with. Uh, oh yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. One thing I want to ask her is her take on you know the future of umpire and robot umpires and things like oh, that. Oh yeah, how she feels about great. It. And the proposed rule changes too. We got to find out how she feels about that. Yeah, and I think instant replay too, which is you know another oh, thing right. she didn't she didn't deal with in, in her, her uh, umpiring days. That's right. But uh, yeah, that's a to, that to me is is. And again, I mean, let's face it, you know, the umpires of old, uh, and, and my dad and they, they used to have they used to tell stories in the in the in the clubhouse on old timers day about certain umpires just, but thinking they just wouldn't admit it. This, I I'm a, you know, it's like they're above you know the human. Uh, the human uh, error thing because they're an umpire. Like, right. Everything I say is correct, and right. so uh, it was. It became kind of a, a a love-hate relationship, you know, players and umpires. And we all we all love them as people. Sometimes the calls they make, we look at them, we're like, seriously. Uh, yeah. But now, kind of this sort of uh, secondary look at it, you know, I wonder uh, what she feels about it because I know the ones that you know, especially some of these umps that were were the ones uh, like Andy Fletcher, who I told you in the past, like he just, he never missed a call. Just ask him, you know, and, yeah. uh, and now all of a sudden, well, guess what, Andy, the uh, replay says you did. And the guy in New York said you did. So you missed that one, buddy. Uh, so <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious that sort of, uh, that sort of complex. Uh, and I wonder too, I always ask the uh, former umps, I, I go, you know, hey, have you ever just admitted you're wrong? I mean, so I'm, I'm curious yeah. to hear, but I, I, the magic dong just went off. I think we have our guest. Hello, Perry. This is Jim Campanis, and I'm here with Eric Lennenberg. Hi, Jim. Hi, Eric. Hi, Perry. I'm How are you doing? From, I'm good. I'm calling from lovely Syracuse, New York, which is hosting right. the 76th reunion of the All-American Girls this year. Awesome. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. So. Awesome. Yeah, I, gonna, I did a book signing. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. I was going to ask Perry about that. Uh, are any of the original players, like the ones who were depicted in that film, uh, A League of Their Own, are any of those original women still alive? And if so, are they there? There are, I believe, 65 still living players. Wow. And oh, not, wow. not, yeah, not all of them are in uh, good enough health to be here. As a matter of fact, every year they keep saying, well, this is going to be the last reunion because, as you know, I think the youngest player here is 86 um oh. so oh, yeah <laughs> um but surprisingly the ones that are here are are amazingly vigorous 
um, full of you know what and vinegar, as they yeah. have always been. <laughs> That's because so they're ball players, the old ball players. You know, they still got that right. uh, that spirit in them. That's great. That's great to hear. That's so true. That, and I think because they grew up drinking raw milk on farms, working outside <laughs> in the sunshine. <laughs> yeah, staying staying in shape, absolutely. So yeah, so that's interesting. And by the way, Perry, I'm just going to let you know I'm a former uh, pro, you know, college and pro catcher, and. Um, I can't oh, figure I know, it out. I know. <laughs> well, I can't figure it out, but I, I, you, you, you umpired one of my games, but I'm trying to remember if it was college or pro, but I do know it was in Arizona. I remember that distinctly that it was in Arizona and it, it was in the, either the mid eighties to early nineties. It was somewhere in that phase. You know, uh, and it's, I, it's been driving me crazy. <laughs> I would love to think that it actually was I who did that, uh, Al, but I'm thinking more likely it, oh, hold on a second. It was sorry. I set my alarm to. I set my alarm and oh. just went off. Uh, I'm uh, thinking more likely it, it might have been Pam Postema who was in pro ball okay. back then, and I okay. I was not. So I think that it more likely would have been either her or Teresa Cox, who was in the okay. Arizona Rookie League for a couple of years. She was another woman who um, was. Uh, she's one of the nine women that have umpired in pro ball. So I see. Okay. So, yeah, this was a uh, this was a, a minor league umpire who who was either either umpiring a uh, split split squad spring training game or a college game. Uh, I at bet USC. it was Teresa. I bet it was. Teresa. Okay. You know, it, it's funny that you you say that uh, that because there there used to be so few of us that if people would mix us up, it, it would drive me crazy, right. you know. Cause right. <laughs> now that there are many more women umpires, I, I laugh about it, say, yeah, we all kind of blend into one another now, <laughs> like the guy. Yeah. You know, as long as people don't remember us, it means we did a good job. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there was no there was no Internet back then, and, the, and the, you know, they very rarely reported umpires' names on in the newspaper and then have what yes, have you. So, we, so we okay, you make you, you, yeah. You make me feel better that I'm not losing my mind, so I appreciate that. Uh, that that's good. Uh, and I know um, uh, I know Eric has uh, has done a, a we we had a little pre talk before, and he's he's done a, he's done a little research, and he, I know he's got a couple of questions. So go ahead, Eric, hit her hit her with some of that stuff. Got a lot of questions, but one thing I wanted to get into, Perry, is as everybody knows, the game is changing and rapidly changing, and one of the facets of the game that is uh, certainly changing before all our eyes is umpiring. Uh, oh, yeah. When you were umpiring, they didn't have instant replays. And I wanted to get your take on instant replays, first of all. How do you feel about that? Well, you say when I was umpiring, <laughs> like I'm ancient. I, I am <laughs> ancient, but I'm still umpiring. <laughs> I'm still very active. I work 150 to 200 games a year. Wow. Um, yeah, just oh, not at the. I, I do major league spring training, but that's really the only pro ball that I do anymore. Um, other right. than that, I I'm in the trenches with you know high school, college, amateur, adult men's leagues, umpires who work games like that. You know, tournaments, travel tournaments, international baseball. So yeah, I have a lot of um, uh, observations that I've made over the decades, and yes, umpiring is changing very rapidly because of the technology that has been brought to bear and it's uh, the evolution of the technology used to evaluate 
and train umpires is itself a very interesting history because at the beginning, you know, when it started with, uh, you know, they've gone through so many, um, so many name changes. I can't remember what the original name was, but it was, it was to help umpires get better. It wasn't to give the casual fan who then would see the replay, you know, on umpire auditor on Twitter 45 times with nasty comments about it. Um, it was a training uh, tool so that umpires could use it and see their, watch their performances afterwards and get better. Um, but right. as the technology improved and evolved, it's now become more a weapon against the umpires to, um, you know, to cudgel them and, you know, make people believe that they're not doing a very good job when, in fact, statistically they are and still are and always have been. Um, you know, I think accuracy rate is somewhere in the 90s for most major league umpires, even the ones at the very bottom of the, you know, the popularity hierarchy who right. are, you know, said to not be very good on balls and strikes. But, you know, frankly, <laughs> even the worst major league umpire has, has got to have some talent. You know what I'm saying? Right. They don't get there um, without, you know, some type of talent. So um, it, it's very interesting. And, and these uh, robot umpires that they're using now in the Atlantic League are, I think, fraught with a lot of um, problematic uh, issues. Um, and I, I'm glad that they used it in the Atlantic League before adopting it for the minor leagues uh, and especially for the major leagues because, you know, they're having problems technical problems just transmitting the audio to the headset of the plate umpire um, the the tracking device is having a problem differentiating between a ball that hits the dirt and bounces through the strike zone and a ball that passes through the strike zone on the fly uh, to the robot umpire they're the same thing obviously oh, and yeah and it, it i i heard of several instances in the atlantic league you know where the plate umpire had to overrule the robot umpire and to me that that doesn't make sense if, if you're going to overrule the robot umpire what's the point you know what i mean it, yeah. it sort of well, uh, makes it a redundancy a <laughs> yeah and as a catcher, you know, it's one of those things where I felt like, and, and you know, no offense as an umpire, but like, you know, we're trying to steal strikes from you, right? That's part of our job. Right. And, uh, and that, and it's an art form. And I was able to, I believe, continue to play baseball uh, professionally because I could do that. And, um, because and it you wasn't framed like, the pitches in such a way that, yeah. you think that you were able to convince an umpire that a ball that was borderline was a strike as opposed to a Well, ball? yeah. Well, uh -huh. and, and one te one technique that I would use um, is, you know, I would catch the ball in the like a like a snow cone at the very web, and from where your head was looking, like on the inside of a right-handed hitter, you know, you'd have to look across the plate, and you would see my glove not move, and it looked like a well. And again, the 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 idea was if I'm not moving and the glove is in the right spot, it should be a strike. And of course, it wasn't always, but I felt like I could steal about three or inches, two or three inches off the corner. Um, using that little, and Bob Boone taught me how to do that. By the way, the, the former uh, you know, defensive ah. goal, goal Glover, um, oh, and then on the I watched ahead, Bob ahead, Boone when I first fell in love with baseball. He was the catcher that I watched when he played for the Angels back in yeah. the early 1980s. Yeah, 
He was good. Yeah. <laughs> and I was a bat boy for the for him, and I got to know his sons really well. And I, and I played USC with Brett, his oldest son. Uh, and that's how I learned how to catch. Bob gave me a, a tutorial on the way to Vegas. Long story, but it's true. And um, I learned how to catch from Bob Boone at 6 in the morning, driving back from an all-nighter in Vegas. Long Long story, we can. it's in my book. I wrote a book about this. But that was one of his tricks. So he used to talk about, you know, trying to, 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 to basically keep your head as still as you can, keep your body still, extend your arm, give the umpire the view to the, to the glove. And, you know, he felt like if, I, if he moved his head to the right, you umpires immediately would think, oh, well, that ball was outside and I was trying to bring it back. Exactly. Yeah. So his yeah. whole theory was, uh, get into a low, and he was a six four. He's a big six four guy, so he tried to get as small as he could to give the umpire the the biggest view, and then he would basically glove those balls. Uh, and then he had a similar technique on an inside pitch where he would catch it in the palm instead of uh, you know, instead of in the pocket um, again to to kind of steal an inch or two off of the inside uh, corner uh, or the outside corner to a lefty. So, uh, and again, again, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on some of the catchers who uh, you felt maybe helped their pitcher by doing a good job catching. And you have to name names, but I, I'm curious if you've seen catchers who just like took the ball out of the zone and forced you to call it a ball because he made it look so bad. You know, there are catchers that that do that much more subtly than other catchers. I I tell catchers all the time, look, if it's a borderline pitch, don't snatch at it. Because when you do that, it looks like you don't think it's a strike. So why would I call it a strike? If Ah. you want me to call it a strike, just give it a nice frame. Catch it where it is and hold it there. Don't yank it in thinking that it will look more like a strike zone. Because, frankly, umpires don't call strikes where it is when the catcher gets it in his glove. We call it where it is over the plate, and sometimes they're not the same place. Um, But a good frame is a a way to convince an umpire that, yeah, it was a strike because, you know, sometimes we flip a coin. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously. Well... Well, funny, funny though, that that's one of the things Bob talked about is instead of holding the glove out there, which he felt the umpire would also be angered by the fact that you're, you're, you're trying to, we call it present the, the strike. So his, his idea was bring it right back to your chest. Like it's, he called it a funnel technique. So you, I you, see. you, you, I, all, I see you catch the ball away and then you just bring it back to your chest, not putting it out there for you to sort of analyze whether that was a strike or a ball. He was forcing the umpire to see the ball to call the ball as a ball or strike, as you said, out in front of the catcher catching the ball. So he, he just made sure he made a nice clean catch and then brought it in. And I started adopting, adapting that uh, technique. And uh, it really helped me quite a bit. And, and I felt that, I mean, I had a lot of pitchers who would request me and over other catchers just for, they thought I stole a strike or two a game, you know. That, that uh, that's so and that, interesting because that is, just that, that little subtle thing that a catcher does, you know, every once in a while to help out his pitcher, to help convince an umpire that a borderline pitch is a strike instead of a ball. And umpires are, uh, you know, right from the get-go, we're more inclined to call strikes anyway. But that little bit of convincing may be, just be, you know, enough to get, Hey, two or three extra strikes per game, and that can make a big difference in the result yeah. and the outcome. Um, so it's very interesting that you bring that. And I'm so glad you told me that about Bob Boone, because I, like I said, I watched him during my formative years when I was 
learning to love baseball and um, knowing that he thinks in such um, nuanced ways about how to work with an umpire instead of as an adversary, right. which I think is very unfortunate when catchers adopt that attitude that they have to fight the umpire, they have to fight to get every pitch. I don't want that kind of a relationship with catchers that I'm standing behind. I want to work with them in concert. I think of the pitcher, catcher, and home plate umpire as a little family during right. every game. And, um, you know, I've been called a, a pitcher's umpire because I have a big strike zone, meaning that I call every inch of home plate, including if a ball, you know, the outside edge of the baseball touches the outside edge of the plate, that's a strike. <laughs> you know, it's home <laughs> plate right. is 17 inches wide, but the baseball is three inches in diameter. So that adds six inches to the strike zone. That makes the strike zone almost two feet wide. And up and down, varies, of course, from batter to batter, which is another thing that that, uh, you know, the, the strike zone that you see on TV does not seem capable of adjusting to yet, at least when I see it. Um, they don't adjust for each individual batter. That box never um, changes from batter to batter. Uh, and that's why it sometimes appears that an umpire will call a pitch a little bit high, a strike, um, that actually is, but the box has not, you know, raised up because the batter is six foot four instead of, you know, six foot right. one, something like that. Yeah. So I wanted to, I have one more question for you and I know Eric's got some more, but just one more about the catching thing. And, and, uh, uh but I, this is very interesting to me and I still train, uh, uh, high school and college catchers. Um, and, and we talk about, you know, working with umpires. This is one of my sort of points, my topics that we go into, uh, but I also tell them about, you know, handling pitchers and pitchers' expectations. So when I'm catching a guy who's very solid and he's got great control, he's the guy I can steal the most strikes for because if I'm getting one inch and this guy's consistently right there, and then then I might get two, and then I might get three, you know what I mean, if he's right there oh, yeah. consistently. But then, yeah. but then you got the guy who throws one over the backstop and then throws it behind the batter and then puts it right on the black. I'm like, yeah. dude. You can't expect the ump to go from, you know, that universe to right back to the corner of the strike zone and get that call. Like you need to maybe be in the strike zone a little more frequently uh, and then we can work the, you know, work the ump. But uh, until that point. So I'm curious if that was if, if it was if it's easier to call control guys um, versus wild guys who every now and then put one like right there where it's a, a nasty pitch. Oh, no, absolutely. It takes tremendous focus when you've got a pitcher who's all over the place um, to be able to call strikes that are strikes because, you know, you get into a pattern of calling ball, 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 and then all of a sudden, like you said, you got one that uh, paints the outside corner, and it, it, it's like, okay, wait, what? <laughs> you know? right. And then you call it a ball instead of a strike. And that could be the, you know, the one that made the difference that, you know, maybe walked the guy to second base and, you know, the next uh, batter up hit him, got a base hit and drove him home. And, you know, that won the game. It can change everything. You know, the, a blink of an eye can change everything in baseball. It's like the butterfly effect. But right. it's, and that's actually one of the things about baseball that's so beautiful and marvelous to me is the the great subtleties that have such a tremendous impact on the outcome of a game and and the larger you know more team oriented spectacle of 
players working together to help each other, not for individual glory, but for the greater good of the team so that they get a win. And, you know, it doesn't matter, you know, what player hits the home run that does it as long as the team uh, gets the result that they want. And um, I just, you know, after 39 years of umpiring, there's so much about baseball that's still challenging and uh, just so deeply interesting to me on a psychological level. It's like a puzzle about human nature that I yeah. want to solve, but I know I'll never be able to. But I keep trying. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Me, Eric, take it away. Yeah, let me ask you Thanks. this, Maria. Thanks, Jim. Very nice uh, talking yeah. to you. The, uh, I wanted to know, what caused you in the first place to want to become an umpire to get into baseball? What, what was it that drove you to go to? Did you go to umpire school? And, and what was your motivation in the first place? Well, my my background about how I fell in love with baseball is a bit unusual. I, I sort of came through the back door. <laughs> I'm a back door uh-huh. slider. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did not like baseball growing up. I, I don't want to say I didn't like it. I just was not interested in it. I was not um, geared or motivated to pay much attention to baseball when I was growing up in New York City. As an adult, I had a lot of friends who were always challenging me to trivia because I'd been a Jeopardy champion when I was 19 years old. So I had a friend that was constantly challenging me to baseball trivia, and I finally got disgusted with myself about knowing nothing about baseball. So I went to a bookstore and I bought three books about baseball. And within 24 hours of reading the first one, which was a collection of short stories by Ring Lardner, uh, the Alibi Ike stories, oh, oh yeah. so funny. Um, I I just was totally madly head over heels in love with baseball, and could not stop reading about it. And I read about it like it was a subject that you learn about in school, and are just you know completely enchanted by, and can't stop you know, wanting to learn more and more and more. And a year later, I knew it was time. I had to go to a ball game and see what all the fuss was about. So I went to see the Mets and the Yankees because I'm a New Yorker. And um, the Yankees were right in the middle of 1977-78. They went to the World Series every year. They were great. Reggie Jackson, Tommy John, all of that. Um, They were the best. But I was strangely unmoved by them. Then I went to see the Mets, who in 1977 were a collection of very talented players. But as a team, they were just totally inept but endearing. And I just fell madly in love with them and adopted them and started going to see them on road trips. And when they would play out in California, I would go visit my mother and stay with her. And it turned out that she was a huge baseball fan, which I had never really known because we had never related on that level. But once I started to like baseball and we started to go see the Angels and the Dodgers every night I was out in California, we we developed this whole new level of our mother-daughter relationship that was so important and so precious to me because it turned out to be the end of my mother's life, which, of course, we didn't know at the time. But um, she died in 1994, and so from about 1980 until the end of her life, we we went to baseball games all the time. And it was my mother who suggested to me that I start umpiring. 
And when she did, I looked at her like she was out of her mind. I just, I, 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 you know, to me, I had, uh, like everybody else, I, you know, loved baseball at that point, went to every game I could possibly go to. But, you know, the umpires was just sort of there. Um, and when she suggested to me that I start umpiring this little league out in California, she spotted an ad in the local paper out in Palm Springs where she was, and she left it on my pillow and said, I think, do you believe this? In 1981, a grown woman saying to her 27-year-old daughter, grown daughter, I think you should be an, a baseball umpire. I, I, you know, to me, that is the miracle of my mother saying that to me in 1981. What woman, even now in 2019, says that to another woman? Hey, I think you would make a good umpire. Now, me, that's all I do anymore is I walk up to girls and women and say, I think you'd make a great umpire. You should go to umpire school. Here's a free clinic you should go to get some training, you know, work in Little League, do high school. Um, but back then, it was, you know, a total, you know, anomaly. It never happened. Yeah. But my mother said it to me. And, of course, like I said, my first reaction was, well, you're out of your mind. Why would you think I wanted to do that? And she said, well, I saw you reading a book about umpires. That was true. I'd, I'd read, you know, 500 books about baseball, and probably several of them had been about umpires. She said, well, you wrote a song about an umpire. Well, that was true, I, but I'd been a performer for 10, 15 years, and I'd written a lot of songs on, you know, a lot of different subjects, including, you know, alcoholism, fatal masochism, voyeurism, foot fetishism, all the isms. Um, and then she, and then she said, <laughs> and then she said, well, um, I just think it would be something you'd enjoy and be good at. And like I said, what woman says that to another woman? I think you would be a good umpire. I think it would be something you would enjoy and be good at. But now I understand exactly what she was saying because I I think so too. And I've become convinced of that, not because of my own personal experience, but by obser observation watching other women umpires that I've been lucky enough to work with over the last 10, 15 years. Because before that, my opportunities to work with other women umpires were very few and far between. I, I was often only the only woman out there, you know, in associations of 150 umpires. I was the only woman working um, NCAA baseball in the Northeast. I'm still the only only woman that's umpired in the Cape Cod League or the Alaska League, which I hope changes very soon. Um, and back then, I was one of maybe one or two women that had ever worked a major league uh, game, and that was only during spring training. There's never been a woman yet that's umpired a regular season game. But the good news is that there are two on the way who, if their career trajectories progress according to um, the plan, uh, the usual trajectory, uh, in about five, six years, we could see one or both of them being vacation umpires, the umpires that get called up from AAA to fill in for the major league umpires who go on vacation during the summertime. So it's entirely possible that that um, barren landscape of baseball will um, get a fresh 
dose of estrogen in a few years. And, and believe me, when I say that, you have nothing to fear. Men have nothing to fear. We're not going to feminize the field. We're not going to change it and sissify it and girlify it and turn it pink. We're not going to do any of that. I promise. Nothing is going to change. It's just going to allow a very few dedicated women with the ambition and the talent and the perseverance to make it all the way because as most baseball fans know, the road to the major leagues is, you know, it's not like in football where they pluck a player out of college and, you know, then he's in the NFL. Umpires have to go through a period of six to eight years minimum of training in the minor leagues before they're even considered as, you know, one of those AAA umpires that goes back and forth between AAA and the major leagues. It's just not possible to have the the type of knowledge and composure and self-possession and um, skill set that is necessary for a major league umpire to be able to comport himself um, properly in a way that's conducive to, you know, a, a, a pace of play that's engaging and entertaining instead of, you know, draining and exhausting, um, which happens a lot of the time. And, um, you know, all of this monkeying around with these external things like, you know, uh, pitchers get 20 seconds, you know, that's fine. It helps. But to me, the biggest thing is that the way an umpire takes charge of a baseball game, which includes making batters stay in the box. That's the biggest thing. If you make the batter stay in the box, that can literally cut 20 minutes to a half an hour off of every ball game, seven or nine innings. It doesn't matter. I mean, because if you think about it, a batter stepping out of the batter's box and, you know, stepping back in takes a minimum of six to ten seconds every time they do it. If they do it twice per at-bat and you've got three, four batters every, you know, half inning, that's almost two minutes every full inning. That's completely nothing. Downtime, wasted time, a batter stepping out, fixing his blah, 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 you know, posing for the camera, preening. And, of course, all that filters down to the high school kids and the little league kids. And, you know, it it gets a little annoying, frankly. Um, So I've always been relatively strict about getting the batters in the box. And, you know, some of them look at me like I'm speaking Greek when I say, please keep one foot in the box. Don't step out after every pitch like they've never heard it before. And it's only been a rule for at least 15 years now. <laughs> well, you know, most- Barry, Barry I, went to a, I went to a couple of AAA games this year and they started a, a, a hit clock. It, it's now uh, they, they took it to AAA and it's a 20 second clock. Yeah. Pitcher. The pitcher and the batter need to. The pitch needs to be thrown within 20 seconds. And 20, if it's either right. one of the pit, and if it's either one of their, you know, the pitcher's fault for holding too long, or the batter's fault for not getting in the box, um, there are consequences to that. Yeah, so, it, it's uh, either what, a ball or strike, depending upon who's right. at fault. And, right. Yeah, and, and uh, I love it. I've worked with pitch clocks. Do you? Okay, and, I was going to ask you. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah, they're fabulous because I, you know, I get tired of saying, hey. Don't step out of the box after right. you pitch. You yeah. know, with the clock there, I, I say, hey, you got five seconds. You know, <laughs> then, then, then right. you know I mean business. So. <laughs> well, I saw what another rule that – I'm sorry. Let me ask one more question. There, is a, there was a new rule that came out this past year in the NCAA. Um, do you do uh, NCAA um, umpiring? 
I haven't uh, done um, legitimate NCAA, meaning I'm not a member of any college association anymore. Okay. I stopped doing okay. college ball about six years ago, but um, I do college ball when I'm down in Florida in the springtime. There are a lot of college teams that come down and play down there. So, yeah. But what rule? What rule change? Yeah. So the about? rule the the rule change, I work with a couple of D1 players and, um, uh, I do, I do, I still do batting and catching training. And, and, uh, one of the, one of the new rules is, you know, we used to tell the guy like, okay, if the ball is thrown at you, just we could say, wear it and then go to first. Well, now you have to make a definitive move to get out of the way. You can't, you know, used to be able to throw your elbow out and, and take that one, you know, and go to first. And, uh, now oh, did you? Now, well, uh, I did with two strikes for sure. <laughs> uh, but the but the but the rule now is it's actually if you get it's a strike. So if you if you like I always stick my elbow out or I let it hit me if it was you know a pitch inside with two strikes. Um, I even did it in the USC like and that's crazy that you can't get the instinct out of the player. I'm at 40 years old in the in the alumni game and. I got drilled 0-2 and just and, and I could have got out of the way, but I didn't want to strike out in, a, in an alumni game. <laughs> but uh, right. but the point is, but the point is, is like that's now considered a strike, and so it, it actually was a big uh, uh, mm. shift for a lot of the coaches and players because yeah. they were teaching they were teaching to stay in there, you know, and wear it uh, to help right. the team. Because so I'm just the, curious the if you dealt with uh, the interpretation when I went to umpire school was that a batter is not required to, you know, leap or jump out of the way as long as he doesn't deliberately try to get hit. He is allowed to do what we call freeze, you know, to freeze. And if he gets hit, then, he, yeah, he, he gets first base. But um, especially in college baseball, they're always sort of refining and uh, modifying the rules and the interpretation. So... Thank you for alerting me to that because I'm I'm going to go ask some college umpires that I work with, um, you know, what the deal is with that because, you know, I don't want to be working the game and, you know, have a batter get hit and I say, hey, come back. You don't get first base on that. And saying, <laughs> right. And, and, <laughs> and then and I him coming back with saying, but the new rule is. <laughs> right. And I, and there is there is a language in that rule that, that you know, like if it is, if you do try to get out of the way by simply turning your back, um, I guess the, that's interpreted as a, as a way that you're trying to move out of the way. What they're trying to get rid of, if you remember that old movie, Bad News Bears, where the, the coach asked that poor kid to get hit every at bat, the kid was yeah. sticking his arm out, you know, the kid was sticking his arm out over the strike zone to get hit. So they're, <laughs> that's what they're, that's what they're cracking down on are those guys that are like intentionally uh, getting hit when they could get out of the way or they're intentionally sticking like their elbow guard out so they could wear one on the elbow guard and, and run to first. So, uh, and, but I would definitely confer with your, with your, uh, your college umps when it, when it comes to like the exact, you guys are almost like lawyers, right? You got the, the laws and the rules. <laughs> That's right. Just, Everybody's just like lawyers opinion. too. <laughs> and they're right. not always the same. <laughs> no, 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 no. Eric, go ahead. I know you had some more questions. Yeah. And before I do just thinking about people getting hit by pitches in critical situations, during Don Drysdale's uh, shutout streak in 1968, you guys may remember, you may have heard about a batter for the Giants named Dick Geets was up with the bases loaded. Got hit and by my pitch. my umpiring instructor Harry Wendelstedt was the plate umpire for that game. He was Harry Wendelstedt. Yeah, was all, that's yeah. right. So that was. <laughs> and he was universally despised in San Francisco. I think ever after yeah, for that, that call. Yeah, that was a big deal. <laughs> uh, yeah. But anyway, Perry. Uh, Getting back to 
your how you got started. And it occurred to me, you know, we always talk about uh, dads and sons, you know, and the relationship they have in baseball. Sounds like you and your mom had a great relationship that kind of had baseball influencing it or surrounding it. But uh, anyway, prior to my mother was a very remarkable woman, and thank you for giving me the chance to talk about her because. Truthfully, if it hadn't been for her making that suggestion to me, I don't know if I would ever have connected the dots the way she did to this day. I don't know if I ever would have thought of umpiring as, as something that I, I could do, you know, and my life would have been so different. It would have been yeah, so I, different if not for my mother's suggestion and her support you know, and, and her, right. you know, kvetching and complaining, when are you going to settle down? When are you going to stop traveling? <laughs> she created a monster. It was all her fault. <laughs> well, now, but you know what? She never, she never complained when I invited her down to Met Spring Training, and she got to meet Buddy Harrelson and Jerry Grody and all of the Mets that she had, you know, loved in 1969 before I was interested in baseball. So oh. that was very special for me to be able to do that for her. Yeah. Well, uh, you mentioned that you were a champion on Jeopardy. I wasn't aware of that. I don't think Jim was either. And that's pretty fascinating. But uh, Well, you know, I, I'm a woman. I don't reveal all of my mysteries in one <laughs> fell swoop. I have to keep something in reserve. <laughs> well, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, that, that brings me to something else. Uh, my friend Scott Russell had told me that you had been in the music industry, which, again, had no idea that this uh, woman umpire had also been Scott's in the business. a great guy. Yeah. Yeah, Scott Reed he, is a great guy. Yeah, and he knows I was good friends with a musician named Steve Goodman who wrote the Go Cubs Go theme song that they play right. every time the Cubs win a game at home. Um, among other songs, City of New Orleans probably is his most famous. But, yeah, before I was an umpire, I was a, an itinerant musician, um, I played guitar and uh, played in clubs and bars around New York, mostly as a solo act. Um, but I, I got very lucky at one point and um, got hooked up with a couple of agents who started sending me out as the opening act for some very well-known, um, you know, famous acts like Bruce Springsteen, Billy Joel, Hall and & Oates, and... Um, Kinky Friedman and the Texas Jewelries, and you know, yes. just a, and I had a I had a great career. I was never very ambitious or driven to become rich or famous. I just loved, you know, hanging around with creative, energetic people, musicians, and traveling and having a good time. Um, but once I fell in love with baseball, all of that kind of went on the back burner. And I still um, play in. Uh, concerts and I still play guitar. Um, I just don't do it, you know, to make a living anymore. I just do it mostly for pleasure. And you know, when a Steve Goodman tribute show comes up every now and then, and I'll race out to California or something to play in it. So, well, you kind of you downplay it a little bit, Terry. But can, Eric, I, I got uh, to interject real quick. I'm sorry, I, yeah, sorry, I can't, can't stop myself. And Eric knows this. Eric and I have. Uh, We've been roomies together uh, in the past, and he knows I carry a guitar everywhere I go. I started playing That's right. when I was about 15. Um, I'm curious. To, I want to hear your equipment now because I'm a total guitar geek. So are you more of a music <laughs> player, or are you playing electric? Are you doing both, or what's your kind of guitar Well, of I, I, I'm 
primarily self-taught, and I I favor Martin acoustic guitars. Okay, awesome. Um, but I I do have a Fender um, Mustang, uh, like oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like Stevie Ray Vaughan used to play. <laughs> yeah. I can't play it like he does or did, unfortunately. <laughs> but I I I still love you know noodling around and getting wild and crazy and banging out a few you know chords here and there. So. Awesome. I would I was gonna say I had I would bring a guitar and I have a little portable amp and in the back of the bus I'm out I, we had I, I was playing, all right, but what are we gonna do? It was like karaoke night. And so yeah. I would go and play I'd play a you know, a country song and then one of the old country dudes would come up and sing it and I'd play a punk song and one of the California dudes would sing it and so anyway, we had a lot of fun. That that passed the ten hour bus right, a bit better. Yeah, um, you and than, I uh, will have to jam sometime. And we'll bring John Lee and Adakis out too, because I've jammed with uh, John in the past oh, too. So he's good. Oh yeah. yeah, he's really good. Yeah, he came oh. to my one of my. Uh, I, I we had a they they threw a birthday party for me when I turned fifty, and he came out and jammed. Uh, we had a little band thing going, a revolving band, and and that was a total blast. And yeah, uh, John, John and I even good. <laughs> he's great. Yeah, we we jammed at a park in uh and I think it was in Glendale. We I did a I did a sweet spot episode with him uh, like you did. So. Uh, we got to know each other. Yes, and, um, I've seen it. It's marvelous. Yeah, and for your listeners awesome. who don't know, Sweet Spot is a series that um, you can access on Amazon Prime for free if you've got Amazon Prime and other video outlets. And it's a series about um, lesser-known baseball figures uh, like you and I um, yep. who, who um, you know, are just uh, in love with baseball and have lots of things to say about it. And John has made just this most wonderful film, film series um, interviewing, uh, you know, you, me, uh, a couple of the ladies that are here, Maybelle Blair and uh, Shirley um, Berkovich of the All-American Girls. They have an episode. Yep. And Ron yep. Rappaport, um, who has written just fantastic articles about uh, Ernie, a book about Ernie Banks. And um, his Sweet Spot episode is about talking to Jackie Robinson shortly before his death um, from, you know, complications with diabetes. And it's just a very powerful, moving episode. And, yeah, it's a wonderful series. I highly recommend it. And, and yours yeah. is wonderful. Love watching it, too. Well, so. thank you. And, and John, was a, John was a guest on our podcast uh, about a month or a month and a half ago uh-huh. uh, as well. And, and we always love talking to John. And, and it's just funny that it's a small world. Uh, for us, uh, D-list um, baseball um, celebrities, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, it's funny though. But I, I know you're in the same boat because you get invited to go to cool places and do cool things. And then, you know, I'm like one of those guys where they're like, "Oh, we had a few cancellations at the golf tournament with the celebrities. You want to come out and golf for free?" And and I apologize to the force when I get there that they're not, you know, golfing with a real major league or real pro guy they're golfing <laughs> number one selling best, best I, I, they, they bring me on as the best-selling author former baseball player guy but anyway uh no that, that's an interesting there's a it's a small world out there um and i know uh when a lot of us are on social media together and we kind of follow each other's uh antic i think that's a really fun thing but uh eric i know you had a, a whole uh, more uh, questions that you had lined up there uh for perry yeah i uh, just i was just my mind veered off for a second. We were talking about John Leonidas, and uh, a couple of years ago, and I mentioned this to Jim earlier, Gary. He was screening—I uh, think it was his latest edition of the Sweet Spot. 
And it was the one focused on women in baseball. It had Isla Border's story and uh, folks like that. Isla was on our show, too, as a matter of fact. But uh, you were there that night, and I had gone there and was hoping to, you know, talk with you and a few other people and spend some time talking with you. And we had just met. I don't know if you remember this. I, you and I had just been introduced, talked for a second, and I had to leave. I had an emergency and had to leave. So I'm, I'm glad we're able to talk like oh, this. Oh, yeah. That does ring a bell. Yeah. 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 Sorry about the and, emergency. Uh, yeah. I, hopefully I'll be able to see you again at spring training or something. But uh, getting back to so. yeah, you kind of downplay your, your role in the music industry, but you had to be pretty good to open for people like Hall & Oates. Totally, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, mean, I don't know about pretty good, but I ha- I had a a style, shall we say, and a you know a kind of a winning personality. Um, I I sort of developed a shtick where like I wrote the I I wrote your not your usual um, country blues songs about the usual subjects. I mean, I did have a few you know ballads about lost love and all that sort of stuff, but. Then I also had a selection that were a little bit off the wall, you know, like I mentioned previously, songs about you know masturbation and sexual aberrations and other stuff, and you know, just to sort of catch people's attention because um, <laughs> there were a million of me playing in New York back then, you know, cute little blondes playing guitar solo, their own music, and you know you had to have some sort of special thing for people to notice you. And so I, I just always enjoyed making people uncomfortable. (laughs) 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 And and being, being not at all what they expected. Um, So I had a great time um, and got to play with some uh, really fantastic musicians. I, I was very lucky. And like I said, I don't think it had as much to do with talent as it did with just being in the right place at the right time. I mean, the way I got the gig opening for Bruce Springsteen was a, a story in itself. I, I was the girlfriend of a guy named Gino Kahn, who was in a band called Henry Gross. Henry Gross and Gino had been part of Shanana, and Henry Gross had gone off on his own, and he actually had a couple of big hits back in the 80s. But um, they were the opening act at a club called Max's Kansas City in New York, which was a very hot club back oh, in yeah. the 70s and 80s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did the Max's. Um, yeah. So um, they were the opening act for Iggy Pop. So the first night of Iggy Pop's show at Max's Kansas City, he leaped off the stage and was uh, supposed to have been caught by some of his, you know, fans, but instead of which he um, fell onto the floor and broke a glass and was badly cut by shards of glass and had to go to the hospital and cut his engagement short. So Henry Gross was bumped up to headliner, and because I was just there, you know, as Gino's girlfriend, they said, would you be our opening act? And I said, sure. And so there were a couple of agents in the audience the, those nights that they were playing, and the the agents were the ones that started sending me out to be the opening act for all those great acts. And, and you know, it was great for me because I didn't even have to drive. I grew up in New York. I didn't even learn how to drive until I started umpiring out in California. I would take a bus to whatever college around the Northeast that the, um, the concert was at. It was called the College Circuit. And they had a coffee house circuit and a college circuit. 
and I sort of graduated from the coffee house to the college and would just take buses to the, these colleges. They'd put me up in the dormitory overnight so I wouldn't have to pay for a hotel. And they'd pay me $500 for a 45-minute set, which wow. back then, yeah, in 1973-74, my gosh, that was a bloody fortune. And right. I just enjoyed the hell out of myself for about 10 years doing that and like I said just had a great time and um, met some great musicians and made great friends that um, are still ongoing to this day and um, still love playing music and but um, you know like I said baseball is my number one now oh. um, I'm married to baseball people say well are, are you married yes I'm married to baseball Baseball is the best romance I've, I've ever been involved in. Baseball is very nice to me. You know, sometimes it breaks your heart, but you move on. You know, you find right. uh, another way to derive enjoyment and, um, you know, challenge and, and love from it, no matter what. Yeah. Uh, you know? You bet. I'm sure you, you feel mentioned. the same way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You mentioned Iggy Pop a minute ago, and I have to... I have to ask you this. If you were there at the time in New York City, did you ever go to CBGB's? At oh, yes. That, that place was, was a jump. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the birthplace of, um, you know, uh, the Ramones oh. and, you know, bands like that. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, CBGB, I was glad when that place closed, man, because it was just <laughs> wretched. <laughs> well, a lot of bands got started there, that's for sure. I know Blondie got their start there, but... Yeah, uh, yeah, a lot of them. Yep. There was a movie, a CBGB movie, uh, maybe three or four years ago. Alan Rickman starred as Tilly uh, Crystal. And, oh. yeah, they, they got across what the dump it was, believe me, with the dog walking around <laughs> with nobody cleaning up after it. Like anyway, I was yeah. if you had ever been there. Oh, yeah, I probably played in every dive and, you know, club in New York back then, 1970s. Yeah, that's all I did. I just, you know, they would have open mic nights and, you know, I'd do that and, you know, then they'd hire me, you know, um, you know, to play a weekend gig or a steady gig. And there were even clubs. I lived on the Upper East Side, and there were a couple of clubs up there that were very popular. One was called Catch a Rising Star, which was the birthplace of a lot of comedians who That's right. um, became big yeah. stars. Yeah, Richard Belzer, Freddie Prinze, Richard Lewis, um, just a whole bunch of them. And uh, and it was me and Pat Benatar. We were the singers in between the the comedy acts. Wow. And yeah. <laughs> and um, the you know the comedians were the draw, and Pat Benatar and I would sing in between them. You know, on into like two, three in the morning when there were just a few drunks left hanging out, and she and I would be there. Singing our hearts oh my out, gosh. <laughs> while Richard Belzer was cracking Bob Dylan jokes. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I should write a book, right? <laughs> I was just going to say that. I meant, to, by the way, uh, what um, Perry? One of the things that that happened to me on accident was I would put some stories that that happened to either my grandfather when he was with the Dodgers, and or even with um, you know uh, growing up in in in. Uh, 
for him, he grew up in, uh, in Greece. You know, my grandfather, Al, was the first. Uh, he still is the only Greek-born Major League player. Uh, and then I had, and my, there were stories from my dad and, and his generation of guys, and he caught Koufax and caught Drysdale. And then I went out and played with the Mariners, and I was teammates with you know, Randy Johnson and Griffey and, and Edgar Martinez and guys like that. Um, wow. And so I, I, just, I would just write these stories because, you know, they were just like, you know, little, little the stories I would tell Eric when we were just BSing, you know, and, and, um, and then I got a bunch of people, you know, you should write that down. And, you know, you've given us a number of awesome stories that are just sort of like coffee table type of, you know, you read a story and then you're, you're satisfied with that five minute read. Well, and then there's a whole book of five minute reads. So I encourage you to, to document that stuff. Oh, by the way, you will not make any money. And I'll tell you that cause I know, cause I was even considered a number one author and um, yeah, and then the, the royalty check came in. I was like, really? That, that's, that's, that makes you number one? Holy cow. But, uh, but it is, it, it changed my life and it, and it helped me meet a whole bunch of cool people. Um, you know, I actually went to Syracuse uh, last summer and I did a book signing uh, at the Syracuse uh, baseball stadium. Um, oh. and, and, then, and then I went to Buffalo this past year and this, in May. I went to Buffalo and did the same exact thing at the, at the Buffalo Bison Stadium uh, and it was all sponsored. It was sponsored by Hankook Tires, who was the you know the, the tire of baseball, and um, and it was just interesting, sort of how this whole dynamic thing happened. But uh, you know, they flew me out, they put me up, they fed me, and I was like, okay, cool. And then they let me sell my book. So I would nice. definitely encourage you uh, in your <laughs> in all of that spare time that you have. Uh, but it, yeah, I actually wrote. I, I I decided I was going to write one story a day when I felt like it. And I said, so you don't write seven, you just, just write one, use all your creative juices, write that one story down, go back and, and keep looking at it all day until you feel like you nailed it. And then I started just putting stuff up on Facebook to get a kind of a, a litmus test of, of, of if, do, you know, do people like this sort of content? Are they interested in this sort of content? Is this story too long? And, and, and people wouldn't have the patience to read through it or, you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and I kind of realized that I'm in marketing now. So I, I kind of realized like, oh, I saw these trends and I, and so I thought, oh, you know, I'm going to do this. Um, and anyway, I did, uh, I think you have definitely uh, enough stories, um, not just, you know, on the umpire side, but on the music side too, that would be very interesting for people to read. And, um, and, and you obviously have a great personality and I think that can come through in your writing. So keep that thought going, right? Well, thank you for the encouragement. I've been um, wrestling with the idea for uh, a long time, and um, I, I really appreciate the support and the suggestions and the, the roadmap to how to actually do it. Because my problem is getting started and you know keeping my eyes on the prize. Because um, I have so much going on, you know, I drive everywhere. I don't fly. Um, and, you know, so that takes up a lot of time. And then sometimes I'll work tournaments where I'm working three, four games a day. And I literally just sort of exhaust myself into sleep right. at night. And, I, I mean, I get back to wherever I'm staying and I open my laptop. And, you know, eight hours later, I realize it's six in the morning. And, you know, there I am. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even opened an email yet. So um, I I thank you very much. Uh, I I do need help with how to discipline myself to do that. So thank you for 
um, separating it into little chunks that seem less intimidating than, oh, a book. You know, that, that right. seems like a very intimidating prospect. But little um, anecdotes and, and uh, paragraphs and chapters, I think I could handle that. So thank you. You should. And it's, by the way, I just mine mine took a, it took like less than six months, and I wrote ten books in six months. Wow. I just was on, I, I was on fire, and it was during baseball season, and I would see something in a game, and it would remind me of something that happened when I played. I'd immediately run into it or, or write down that topic, and say, okay, I know this story. This story is I've told this story a million times. I just forgot that this happened, and and, and this will happen to you. Just write down the. The, the, the topic and before you know it you're going to have like 20 stories and then you're going to have 40 and then you're going to have 100 and then you're going to have 175 which i ended up with 175 <laughs> stories and i'm still writing them 100 ended up in the first book so yeah yeah I, that's always the toughest part right is deciding what to leave out once you've got all that stuff collected well, th that <laughs> that's where the publisher guy I, I happened to get lucky and found a publisher who uh, only publishes baseball books I actually signed my contract in Times Square with him. He came over from Jersey, and I was there for business and met up. And oh, boom, I'm a yeah. What, right so, out uh, of the think, open in Times Square. Uh, no, we went into a coffee shop in Times Square oh, and sat okay. down and, and yeah, and ha had a little breakfast, and then uh, <laughs> and then um, he put the he put the contract in front of me and uh, said, yeah, let's do this. And uh, but anyway, like I said, you're uh, it, it'll be a t you'll you'll have you'll be a millionaire in um, satisfaction. And you'll you'll yes. probably end up you'll probably end up being the number one um, purchaser of your own book. That's how authors <laughs> work nowadays. <So> <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what happened in life. But you know, you you take those books to the book signings. You take them to all these events you go to anyway, and then you'll be invited to a million more events because now you're a you're a famous umpire, musician, oh, and author. So uh, I definitely encourage you to do that. Thank you, and and I'm so grateful to you for doing that because to me it's not it it's important not so much that people know about my story, my personal story, but about the story of women in baseball and women umpires right. and and the struggles that we have had to um, experience and the perseverance and the you know the character that it's taken for us to even get this far which really isn't very far when you um, think about countries like Australia, Japan, Canada that have programs that draw women to the diamond, that get them training, that get them opportunities to play umpire coach. Here in the United States, we are in the infancy of setting up an infrastructure that will give girls and women access to baseball diamonds so that they can routinely practice and play, play as, you know, in leagues, all girls leagues, if that's what they want to do, or as has been happening for the last 10, 15 years, girls that are willing to, you know, keep fighting to um, play once they age out of Little League at age 12, which is ridiculous, you know, that, you know, once they graduate to JV and varsity baseball, they're still in 2019 routinely told, no, you should go play softball. You're mm -hmm. just taking a spot away from a boy who has a chance of getting a scholarship. And to me, that is just infuriating. Number one, because there are women that have gotten college scholarships in the last 10 years. I think five or six women have done that. So doors are opening 
um, the paradigm is changing, and you know we just have to keep pushing and and pressing and um, you know being shrieking estrogen crazed banshees. <laughs> well, but, but Barry, I think you'll 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 appreciate this. So Eric, Eric, you know, played at Arizona State. Um, and then I played at USC and I played some pro ball there for about eight years. And, um, what we asked, we had Isla Borders on, she was the first woman professional uh, pitcher. And so, um, I kind of played a little game with her. I said, okay, Eric's leading off. He's a left-handed hitter and, um, I'm a right-handed hitter. I'm, I'm, I'm on deck. So how would you, you know, attack? And he's a, she's a left-handed, she was a left-handed pitcher. And it was so interesting to hear her describe how she would get Eric out. And all of the terminology that you would use and all, it was just like I was sitting next to the guy that I, that I was going to catch that night and we're going over the, the lineup, you know, and it was just super refreshing to hear. Yeah. You're hearing this, 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 this discussion and you're like, Oh yeah, this is a late, this is a woman, by the way, you know, and, and describing how she was going to back me, slider me to get me out and, uh, and, 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 and jam the hell out of too. Eric. <laughs> right. Exactly. She's really smart. And not only is, is she and, and was she a great pitcher, but now she's a great coach and she yeah. inspires other girls, especially little girls to, you know, keep fighting to be able to play baseball and, and, you know, follow in her footsteps. And I think that, um, there will be other women doing that, that, and I think probably pitchers will be the first ones to break the pro baseball barrier. Um, right. I think maybe you know, a knuckleball pitcher or a, yeah. you know, some kind of a specialist. Because I mean, hell, I know plenty of women that could you know throw the ball like Jamie Moyer did, you know, in the last ten yeah. years of his career. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, Isla is just wonderful, wonderful person, and she has done so much to support and advocate for girls who um, deserve access to baseball because of the struggles that she went through. And man, if you read her book that she co-wrote with Jean Ardell, uh, "Making My Pitch," uh, it's—I mean, just you, you just want to cry and say, "Jesus, you know, how could this?" How could people do this? How could they treat somebody like that? You know what yeah. I mean? Just because she loved baseball and wanted to play. You know, and none of us, I don't know one single woman who loves baseball and plays umpires or coaches. I don't know one single one of us who does it to make a point or to play a zero-sum game that, you know, by our being out there, we're depriving somebody else of a chance to play or enjoy baseball. That's not the way it works. We're all about expanding the possibilities and opening people's eyes and helping people understand that we're not a threat. We're an asset. As teammates, we, we bring out the best in our teammates. We elevate them, you know, we motivate them to play at their best and brightest um, because, you know, they don't want to be shown up by a woman. There's a little bit of a psychological element to all of that. And to me, that's a good thing. Um, it's a, there's healthy competition. You know, of course, there's unhealthy competition. But when women are involved, I think the competition becomes much healthier because we infuse baseball with a very... Um, refreshing kind of a spirit, and it's not a like it's not a um, a feminizing spirit. It's just 
it's a, a, I don't know, it's a, it's an exalting spirit that just makes everything so much more interesting and challenging and um, fun. That's the way I feel about it. And, you know, that's awesome. what Isla does and what, what every single woman that I know that writes about it, plays, coaches, umpires, is in any way involved, you know, from the concessionaires down to the grounds crews. And thank God it's now in, in 2019, there are so many more of us everywhere, you know, as women step forward and, you know, take up those challenges and turn around and say, I'm not going to be the only one. I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing it for the girls and women that deserve the chance that I had to accomplish what I've accomplished. So I just want to thank both of you so much for giving me the chance to talk about that with you tonight. You know, because to me, umpiring is just the greatest thing in the world. And and it, helping people understand that there's so much more to it than calling ball, strike, faith out, fair foul, uh, is just such a wonderful opportunity to help everybody grow in insight and understanding and love for the game and, you know, the spirit of community when you're at a baseball game. You know, you can root for the opposite team, but that doesn't mean you can't show respect and, um, you know, friendship towards your opponent. And baseball right. teaches us all of that. And it's so important because there are so many lessons that are applicable to daily life that you can derive from everything that happens out on a baseball field. But we just have to pay attention, and a lot of people don't do that. <laughs> so yeah. that, that's my mission, to help people pay attention and, and, you know, learn from what happens out there instead of, you know, stomping off in a snit and repeating the same mistake over and over. Um, you know, the best feeling I get is when I call a, a strike on a batter that I know he doesn't like and, you know, he'll give me a look and I'll step out and then I see the wheels turning and he'll step back into the box and the next pitch will come in and he'll, like, whack a, 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 a opposite field double. You know, I just love that, thinking that he adjusted. He made that adjustment. He didn't fight me. He took what I did and just sort of incorporated into the way he approaches his at-bat so that he wasn't saying, well, you know, she took that pitch away from me, and then, you know, the next pitch he flails and strikes out and stomps out and says, that was your pitch, you know, they did all the time. You, you, you took the bat out of my hand. The best hitters, the ones with the greatest talent and the ones that separate themselves from the players who are equally talented but just never seem to learn how to corral all of that negative thought processing and those instincts to shift the blame or shift the focus instead of saying, well, I can make this adjustment so that the next time the same thing happens, the result won't be the same. It will be the result that I want instead of the result that um, comes from, you know, not paying attention or making a mistake or being angry. And um, it can make such a difference in, in a player's success out there, and I see it all the time. That's awesome. That is super awesome. So, uh, uh, you know, Perry, we can't thank you enough for spending this last hour with us. I know you're back east a little bit later. Oh, uh, my God, it's been an hour. Oh. It's been an hour. Yeah, you're awesome. <laughs> 
And I can't I thank you enough for... I run on at the mouth. <laughs> I, I start to wax poetic, and you have to turn the ticket off. So. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we lo- you. We, you're, hey, you were riffing today, just like a great musician. You were riffing on some great <laughs> stuff today. That's right. And, uh, I really, we, I, Eric and I really do appreciate your time. I, we always like to, you know, ask our, our guests, though, um, to, to let our listeners know how they might be able to follow you or, or even get in touch with you. Uh, what, what are your best sort of ways for that? I am on Facebook under my name, Perry Barber, and on Twitter, at Perry Barber, all one word. Or you can Google women umpires, and generally something about me pops up. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Um, I'll build awesome. my potential book buying audience that way. <laughs> well, and that's and that's a, a good a good ploy. And I'm in. I told you I'm in marketing, and I, we help our clients uh, get through social media sales. Once they start selling on social media, then uh, they fit the big time. So that's that. Right. Start selling to your start selling <laughs> to your uh, your friends uh, first, and uh, be the, those will be the first buyers of your book, just like they were. For uh, me. Oh no no! So, you'll get you'll get an autographed copy. From me, as a gift. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much again, and I, and I know, uh, like I said, you can, if you'd like to drop off now, Eric and I usually finish the show with a couple more, uh, a, com- a little bit more conversation. But we thank you very much for your time, uh, Eric. Did you have any other final comments for for Perry? No, I just want to thank her profusely for joining us, and uh, I look forward to seeing you again sometime, Perry. Maybe during spring training, and we can get together and spend some Absolutely. time talking. I really enjoyed this. So thank, thank you, Eric. Eric can sing, so bring that Martin with you. You guys can uh, jam it out. All right. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> I'll, I'll work on getting my calluses back. I'm a little rusty right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks you so much, Perry, for your time. We, we really enjoyed it. My pleasure. You are so welcome, and thank both of you very much. All right. Awesome. Eric, that was great, right? That was great. Fantastic. Glad she was able to join us. Yeah. Thank you. And, uh, Had a thank lot you, of Perry. Th- thank, thank you. you. All righty. All right. Take care. Um, now, so, um, I've had a couple of people here at the reunion ask me if they can listen to this. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. How- we're we're going to – it'll be coming up. Um, I'm going to do this uh, tonight. So it'll be up um, by the – you know, by – well, you guys might be uh, passed out by the time we uh, get it up. But uh, it will be on um, – all the places that 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 um, you would ever listen to a podcast, including okay. that purple button on your phone, that little purple uh, podcast button. Um, okay, so you can and just remind search. me, what is the name of the podcast? Yeah, so you can search "Driving Them In," and by the way, that's because I'm actually driving home from work. That's what this show's for. Is oh yeah, that's in LA right. Traffic. Oh man, so, uh, after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm multitasking today. Too. Yes, uh, so driving them in, and it's with Jim Campanis and with Eric Lindenberg, and so uh, you can Google that, and it'll it'll populate um, like where you can go and listen. And uh, if you have that, if you have an iPhone, you can just go to the podcast uh, button. Excellent. It's that little purple. I do. And it's type yeah, and type in the same thing, driving them in. And by the way, it's driving um, and it's em. It's like the short okay. for them. Yeah. And uh, and and well, and you know, that's one of the tricks for marketing. By the way, you put a little weird word in there, so you you're different than everybody else. Uh, ah, but anyway, that's it'll the, be on our it'll be on yeah, it'll be, pages too. Yeah, hmm. we'll we'll be sharing it through uh, we'll be sharing it through our social media. So um, and and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because we want to make sure uh, the people who are listening um, also know that they can go and get um, some of our previous shows are also available. I think this is episode seventeen, maybe seventeen. Yeah. Seven, yeah. So uh, 
So uh, yeah, you'll be, uh, we'll have you up here um, later tonight. So I uh, hope Great. you enjoy uh, and then pass it along to all your friends. We love uh, we love sharing the uh, sharing the show with everybody that we know. All right, excellent. I will. Yeah, right. thank you so much. All right, guys. Thanks again. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. Night night. Bye bye. All right, Eric. Another good, uh, another great guest. Uh, an inter- interesting topic, um, you know, and uh, and and certainly a, a trailblazer as as we we discussed mm-hmm. earlier with, um, you know, with not just her umpiring but also with her sort of, you know, uh, uh, her musical career, and uh, then it's it's always interesting when you kind of learn people's stories and. You know, we all we all are getting older, but it's just it's interesting to see you know, how some people just did something so totally, totally like right, cool and unique. But she did two things totally cool and unique, right? So yeah. uh, that's what makes this uh, this uh, episode. Imagine, I think. Can you imagine? Yeah. Her and Pat Benatar were the in between <laughs> right. music in between the comics at, at Catch a Rising Star in the seventies. That's crazy. Wow. That's crazy. So uh, anyway, I think this is this show is a, is a perfect fit for. Um, some of the other shows, and you know, I thought I would just, you know, and a lot of people maybe this is the first time they've they've listened to one of our shows, but I just wanted to kind of, kind of go through and um and give you a couple, uh, you know, um, talk about a few of our previous shows. Yeah. Uh, so we had Norm, uh, we had Norm Ordaz on talking about Major League Expansion. He's from um, the Portland area, so he had a lot of great information about about how Portland's a, a good front runner as a team. Uh, to be in that new major league team. We also had the competitive drive with my former teammate, Jeff Cirillo, uh, who played 14 years in the big leagues, the most competitive guy I've ever met. And still to this day, he has a drive like you can't believe. And uh, so it's interesting yeah, to hear yeah. his stuff. Uh, we talked to Island reporters. Uh, we talked to her on the show today. Uh, we had Mark Merchant, who was the pick behind Ken Griffey Jr., the number two pick in the 87 draft. Uh, we talked about him that, the week that the draft was actually happening. So he's got a bunch of cool information about, you know, how, how it was drafted. And he and I talked about, about that fact. Uh, we had Mike Leffy, the uh, Hall of Fame coach uh, from USC and, U- and UC Irvine, uh, who was my former coach at USC. In fact, that's our most popular show based on the numbers. And a lot of people wanted to hear about, you know, what he, his thoughts on, on, about college recruiting. And I thought that was a, a, an interesting topic as well. Uh, we had my uh, former uh, uh, major leaguer, major league batting coach, Derek May, uh, talking about the nuances of hitting. And you and I, the former hitters, that was a lot of fun doing that show. And if you recall, I was driving him in uh, in North Carolina on that one, driving from from uh, from Raleigh to Charlotte for a business meeting, and we just did it on the road. Uh, so that what I always remember about that one is uh, we taped that. Uh, we recorded that like seven in the morning or something in the West Coast. And the yeah. first thing Derek Derek started laughing with that booming laugh he had that said he could tell that I had just gotten up. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> well, it was like ten o'clock for us, so we were wide awake and and, and yeah. ready to go because we were both back east. And poor you had to get up at, at seven to do the show, so <laughs> that was that was a hilarious. By the way, um, yeah, we also had uh, um, Jim Henderson, who was my former teammate at USC, um, but he was also a, he went to uh, Arizona State after that was a standout and a, and a pro. And he talked about his life, his, uh, his perseverance um, going through a, a nearly deadly uh, car accident, which left him with a broken neck. Um, and then he talked about how the perseverance to sort of get through that. And now he's a prominent attorney here in Southern California. Another great show with Tom Gamboa, 44-year uh, Major League Scout and coach. Yes, that was uh, great. Talking about the changes 
uh, of baseball through his 44-year career. Um, we had 13-year, four-time MLB All-Star Rick Burleson talking about what it's like being an All-Star and, and during the week of uh, the All-Star game this past summer. Um, John Leonidakis came on talking about his uh, his uh, um, per, per, you know, movies and his, his uh, producer and some of the different baseball thing projects he's done. That was another good one. And we talked about him a little bit today because he did one on Ferry. Uh, Marjorie Adams, the uh, great-granddaughter of Doc Adams, uh, the inventor of baseball, uh, came on and did a show with us. And any of you, any of you like interested in um, you know early baseball will really get a kick out of some of the, the topics that she brought up. Um, uh, Mark uh, Carfagno, um, he came on. Um, he's the former Phillies groundkeeper uh, who is also the um, – the what would you call him like the the curator of the Hall of Fame for for Dick Allen right isn't that kind of yeah, what we call him leading proponent of the Dick Allen there you Hall go. of Fame movement yeah and that was very I thought that was really cool uh, and very sort of uh, a very compelling argument um, another very popular show that 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 particular one uh, Eric Gray who actually was just in Southern California recently doing a quick little book tour for his book uh, Ace of Bleachers which is kind of a fan. It's a fan. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a book with stories from fans and it's a very unique kind of concept. And, um, he, he had a very eloquent, um, uh, discussion with us on sort of the impetus of his idea. And, uh, and he went in and then now he's out doing readings all over. And then last week we had Ian Kahanowitz come on and talk about his new book, uh, baseball gods in scandal. Uh, talking about some stories that you and I had never heard of. Uh, some of the people that were very prominent in baseball, uh, you know, back in the day when, uh, you know, when there was a lot of gambling and a lot of, you know, uh, shady people around the game um, and how some people were sort of blacklisted uh, because of their involvement with, with the mob or, or what have you. And um, so that was another interesting story. And, uh, and then the, by the way, and how they protected some of the legends in that, in that, uh, uh, time too and so uh, i think we've had a, a just a, a blast doing this today i think it's another uh, episode of that you know another one for the, the another keeper you know we have a, a great conversation with you know another trailblazer in, in the game so you know uh, we got to keep this thing rolling right eric we're, we're out, hey, i'll tell you That's what right, i'm still gonna it? be dri- I'm, I'm still gonna be driving home so we're gonna keep this thing going <laughs> we're still gonna be driving them in you know <laughs> that's right you know the one thing that i hear from when I get feedback from listeners, the one comment that is pretty consistent is the wide variety of guests that we have. Uh, you don't find this on other podcasts, especially baseball podcasts. They usually have a certain theme. Uh, our theme basically is baseball and life. And we get people from all walks of life who have a baseball connection. And uh, that's what our listeners seem to enjoy, and that's what I keep hearing about. So we will continue doing that. Yeah, and then by the way, you know, like today, we and I talked a little bit about the top, the topical stuff about you know, like the playoff race, and but most of our shows really are topical, and they're about yeah. either the guest uh, or about a topic that the guest is a specialist in, and you know, to hear you know a Hall of Fame coach Mike Gillespie say that half of my job is to, is to recruit players. The day the days that I didn't recruit, I missed an opportunity to get a, a good player on my team. To hear that from a guy who we just thought was on the field half his life, because that's that's what it felt like when we were college players and he was our coach. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, and all the while he was also recruiting at the same time. So 
you know, very, uh, very, uh, what I would call um, eye-opening and interesting. Um, you know, overall, this this whole thing has been, you know, just a really fun experience. And so, look forward to keep doing more. Eric, tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, you can get me on Facebook also, Eric Lindenberg, and uh, I'm on Twitter at Eric Lindenberg or Doctor of Baseball, capital Dr of Baseball, and. Uh, Send me messages, contact me. Uh, I hear from people every week on different topics, so go ahead and join the fray. How about you, Campanis? Yep, I'm at I'm on Facebook, Jim Campanis Jr. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Jim Campanis. Um, you can also check out some of my uh, videos that I've made for uh, some, some batters, some hitting hitting videos on uh, my YouTube channel, which is again same name, Jim Campanis. Um, and then um, I have a, a, a book site that you can go and check out some details of my book, uh, Born Into Baseball, and uh, and that's at bornintobaseball.com. Up there, um, and if you want to make a purchase of a book, I'm um, just I've had a lot of people just sort of like personal message me through Facebook um, if they want an autograph, you know, book or whatever, and I, I do that quite quite a lot. So um, you can just send me a message if you'd like to get a uh, an autograph book. If not. Uh, you know, go to Amazon and, and help me push up my numbers. How's that? So, uh, so anyway, that this has been a great, another great one, Eric. You have any final comments for the show today? Uh, no, just again, it was awesome having Terry on, and uh, I, I feel like we could have done it over two or three shows. We could have kept I talking. Agree. And, I agree. Uh, yeah, she's a she's a great person. So it's good to have her on. I, I know people are going to enjoy hearing her story. Yep. But we'll have to maybe get together in spring training and uh, catch a game when she's calling balls and strikes, and, and we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll razz her a little bit when she misses. One yeah, yeah, we can sit. We can have a few beers <laughs> and sit behind home plate. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, we'd be nothing. We'd, we'd be calming everybody else down. No, she's good. She's good. Leave her alone. No, she's she's great. You, you know. <laughs> so anyway, uh, no, it was a wonderful show, and thanks again for uh, Eric. Thank you for um, being my co-host, and also. Uh, you know, finding a great guest like Perry, that's uh, that, that's another uh, big win for Driving Them In with Jim Campanis Jr., Eric Lindenberg, until the next episode, uh, keep driving them in. All right. Stay safe, folks.